Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Today, the uh, Torah portion, Pinchas, uh, the parasha for Pinchas does not contain the story of Pinchas. It's like the end of the story. You know, the whole story about how uh, his heroic actions uh, stopped the plague that Hashem had enacted because of his anger for the Israelites uh, when they were seduced by the women of Moab and began to worship the false gods of the Moabites. But that was last week. That was last week's portion. This week we read the end of the story in which Pinchas was rewarded with a covenant of peace uh, with him and his descendants uh, being promised that they would serve in the office of Kohen forever. So uh, that's, uh, that's a reward, I guess, for his zeal. And, um, and that's how the parsha begins and it doesn't say anything more about Pinchas for the rest of, of, the, uh, of, of the entire Parsha. Uh, but there is something about the Haftarah reading for Pinchas. Uh, if you were to look up the Haftarah reading for Pinchas, it would say 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 46, <laughs> and uh, going to chapter 19, verse 21. But that's not what we read today. We read from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Because sometimes the Haftarah portion changes. So, you know, whichever rabbis they were who set up the Torah readings and the Haftarah readings, there was always something that they would uh, put to try to pull certain things together. So because of a certain... uh, period of time called the fast of three weeks. The fast of three weeks. Because of that, whenever Pinchas, this Torah portion, comes after the 17th of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, they change up the Haftarah reading to Jeremiah from 1 Kings. Well, that ought to make you ask a question, why would you change it? I mean, obviously there's something else going on. It's this fast of three weeks. It must have some significance for, for us that we would be fasting for three weeks and changing our haftars around and confusing everybody. But um, this scripture from Jeremiah uh, that, is normally, that is normally read uh, isn't read, but the one that is read is from next week's Torah portion. So next week's Torah portion is Matot, and we take that Haftarah 
and bring that into this week to read the, that Haftorah, just basically leaving out this 1 Kings 46 thing. So, you know, 1 Kings, excuse me, 1 Kings 18.46. By the way, there's no 1 Kings 46. Okay, enough said about that. So, um, this uh, 17th day of the Hebrew month Tammuz uh, is the beginning of three weeks that end on the uh, fast day that was just mentioned in the illustrious announcements. About, I'm giving it to David because, you know, it's really these two guys. That. Um, is called Tisha B'Av, or the ninth day of the month of Av. Now, what are the, what are the Hebrew months here? The, the Hebrew months, uh, <clears throat> well, let me just read this because this is kind of important. Um, the biblical counting of the months begins with Nisan, which is the month when we celebrate Pesach. And it says right in the scripture, this shall be the beginning of months for you. So Nisan is the first month. Now, we celebrate also something that is called Rosh Hashanah. When is that? It says right in scripture, it's on the seventh month. But the words Rosh Hashanah don't appear in reference to that first day of Tishrei, which is where we observe Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't appear in Scripture to refer to that day. It's called Yom Truah or uh, a couple other names, but it's the day of remembering to blow trumpets, Yom Hazikaron. And, um, but it's considered the first, the beginning of the year for almost every Jewish congregation everywhere. And that's probably something that happened back in the days of the Babylonian captivity when, uh, when there was a change in the names of the months. A lot of the names of the months that are used come from, come from uh, the Babylonian captivity. So <clears throat> that first month is Nisan, followed by Iyar, the second month, Sivan, the third month, and Tammuz, the fourth month. And then Av is the end of this three-week period. That's the fifth month. So um, today, what I want to do is I want to give a brief description of this three weeks fast because we should be aware of it, certainly. Most of us have probably heard of it. Some insights. I want to give from 1 Kings 18 that would have been the Haftarah reading. And I want to give some also thoughts about Jeremiah that was our Haftarah reading uh, and about how Jews and especially Messianic Jews can enter into these traditions with hope and with understanding about the days ahead. By the way, did you know that all Jewish congregations, all Jews are essentially Messianic Jews? Did you know that? Did anybody ever tell you that all Jews are Messianic Jews? Well, they are. All Jews 
pretty much all Jews that believe anything believe that the Messiah will one day come. And uh, so there's, there's a hope that's there for Messianic, or for, for all Jews, that they would be there for the coming of the Messiah. And there's a lot of teachings around, well, what's that going to look like, and how's that going to come about, and when are we going to see that? And, you know, there's some groups that say that when all Jews keep Shabbat, that's when the Messiah will come, and things like that. So we don't teach that here. Uh, so, <clears throat> four things. The three weeks fast, the insights into 1 Kings. Uh, the third thing is insights into Jeremiah. And fourth, some hope and understanding for all of us. So, this last Thursday marked the 17th of Tammuz, the day, uh, 17th day of Tammuz, a day commemorating several tragedies in Jewish history it's the start of a mourning period known as the three weeks. And as you may recall, the beginning of months is Nisan, and we discussed all of that. Um, and so it says in Scripture uh, that the, uh, the current month of Tammuz is, we, read, we don't read Tammuz in the Scriptures. It doesn't, I don't believe it mentions Tammuz. It just starts numbering the months, first month, second month, third month, like that. So Av is the fifth month. Now, there's something about the fifth month that you should hear at least once, and that is from, um, I believe, Zechariah, and that is going to be coming here in a second, if I am able to locate it in my, here we go, Zechariah chapter, uh, I believe it's Chapter 12, let me, get, let me get my reference right, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 8, chapter 8, starting in verse 18, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah, therefore love, truth, and peace. And in a previous congregation that I was a part of, I was talking about this fast and somebody said, yeah, but we don't want to be in mourning right now because the Scripture says that when all these things are fulfilled, it's going to be celebrations. It's going to be joy. It's going to be truth. It's going to be peace. It's going to be a good thing. And so I said, well, perhaps that will happen. We certainly expect it will. The Scripture says it will, so we trust that it will. But our response might be a little different. So that's the fast of the fourth and the fifth months, Tammuz 17 and Tisha B'Av. Five tragedies are said to, be, to have occurred historically on the 17th of Tammuz as cited in the Talmud. <clears throat> the breaking of the tablets of the Ten Commandments of Moshe, the cessation of the daily offerings during the Babylonian siege 
of Jerusalem, the burning of the Torah by Apostamus. Now, you'll have to look that one up yourself. I went looking for stories of some guy named Apostamus burning a Torah, and there's a lot of different description about what that could mean, but nobody knows decisively exactly what that means, so that's, that's another story. We can talk about burning of Torahs. That's certainly been a, a problem. <clears throat> the placing of an idol in the temple in Jerusalem and the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem by the Romans in 69 of the Common Era after a long siege. During these three weeks, Jews avoid haircuts and shaving, listening to music, or getting married. Many also avoid risky activities and traveling. The three weeks mourning culminates on the ninth day of Av, which we've talked about, which is July 26th this year, commemorating the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem twice. Two temples destroyed on Tisha B'Av, among other calamities. Eating meat and drinking wine, wearing freshly laundered or new clothes on Tisha B'Av, these are prohibited according to the rules of fasting on Tisha B'Av. Joyous activities such as bathing for pleasure and buying new items are avoided or prohibited. I guess you could buy new items if it's not pleasurable. That's probably okay. So make sure that if you buy something, it's not pleasurable. Um, Chabad publishes a list of 18 facts every Jew should know about Tisha B'Av. I could give you a, a, a website to go to. It's the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. It commemorates several tragic events. We've named a few. It comes after three weeks of mourning. There's four activities we don't do. We don't learn. They do, it's also on Tisha B'Av. We, there are certain parts of the Torah we don't learn because there are some parts of the Torah where it's said it's a blessing to learn and it's a joyful thing to learn. And so if we study the Torah and learn those things on a day when we're supposed to be sad, uh, we're going to be happy in contradiction. Anyway, that's uh, some things we're not supposed to do. I, I'm not advocating necessarily all of these things. I'm simply saying these are customs that you should probably know about. Uh, we eat a meal before the fast. Uh, it often begins on a Saturday night. Because if Tisha B'Av falls on a Saturday, we observe it on Sunday. So the fast would be starting Saturday night. We read Echa, Lamentations, in a synagogue that we will do. Uh, we don't sit on regular chairs. We sit on low chairs, chairs of mourning, <clears throat> as in sitting Shiva. When you sit Shiva, mourning the loss of a near relative, you sit on low chairs. Uh, even talit and tefillin are pushed off. Normally, the wearing of a talit and the, the tefillin on the arm and on the forehead are mourning activities. They are put off until mincha. You don't do it in the morning. You do it in the afternoon for the mincha prayer. Uh, these are interesting things every Jew should know, I guess, about, uh, about Tisha B'Av. Uh, we are gladder in the afternoon than we were in the morning. Uh, people clean up in anticipation of the Messiah on Tisha B'Av. So it's a, a good day to clean up 
and anticipate the Messiah. So you see, all Jews are Messianic. It's called a holy day, uh, but it's not one of the holidays that's uh, mandated in Scripture. And when the fast ends, we do a special blessing, a blessing of the moon, Kiddush Lavana, and uh, then we don't eat meat until the next morning. So those are your 18. So uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about this normal Haftarah from 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, this is the famous story of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. It begins with the statement, the hand of Adonai was on Eliyahu. He tucked up his clothing or girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahav, King Ahab, to the entrance of Yisrael. Not, uh, it's an area, not the, the name of Israel. It's Yisrael, Jezreel, somehow it's sometimes pronounced. <clears throat> Apparently, Ahav must have arrived at some point after Eliyahu, but he got to talk to his wife, Yisabel, also called Jezebel. You may have heard this name, Yisabel. And he talked to her, and he must have said something to her about what had happened with Eliyahu on Mount Carmel, about how he had put to death all the prophets of Baal with a sword. Because the next thing you know, uh, she sent a messenger to El Eliyahu threatening, may the gods do terrible things to me and worse ones besides if by this time tomorrow I haven't taken your life just as you took theirs. Well, that's an interesting curse. Taking those curses on herself if she doesn't kill Eliyahu by this time tomorrow. So, <clears throat> on seeing this message, Eliyahu, who, as we said earlier, the hand of God was on him to run ahead of Ahav. He's just come back from Carmel, having killed all the prophets of Baal. He just shrugs it off and says, ah, who, is, who does she think she is? No. He runs for his life. He runs for his life. This is a prophet of God running for his life. But it wasn't because he was afraid to die, right? In fact, during his running for his life, he prayed to die. He lay down under a tree and went to sleep praying that God would take his life. But the reason why he runs for his life is because he's the only one left. He's the only one left that is, has not worship Baal. He's the only one left. He's, he's all alone, and God won't have anyone if he dies. If he's killed, God won't have any faithful person. So that's why he's running for his life, right? And when he prays to, to die, what is he really saying? Basically, my life is in your hands, God. If I live, okay. If I die, it's, it's, it's your problem, he basically put that off on God. So <clears throat> he's fed by an angel along the way. He goes to Mount Horeb, uh, the mountain of, of, of Hashem. Uh, he hears the still small voice after not hearing it in the wind and the fire and earthquake and so on. 
And uh, the voice says to him, to anoint a new king for the Aramites, wherever they are, right? Aram, the people of Aram. A new king for Israel and a replacement for himself. In other words, God's got it covered. He says, I'm going to replace you, so now you can die. Uh, but he says, go anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mecholah. And Adonai tells Eliyahu in that still small voice, Yehu, the new king of Israel, will kill whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, the new king of Aram. So everybody who escapes from Aram. See, Aram is a nation that has been raised up to do the judgment of God against people who have been disobedient. So apparently everybody who escapes Aram is going to be killed by Yehu, the new king of Israel. Israel now is going to have the hand of judgment. And then he says, and Elisha, this replacement prophet, will kill whoever escapes the sword of Yehu. That's a strange statement. Talking about how the power of God is going to be manifest in these kings and in Elisha, to kill? Wow, what is that all about? And so Hashem then tell, tells Eliyahu that there were 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed down to Baal, unbeknownst to Eliyahu. Essentially, you're not alone, you're not indispensable. You are to anoint and train your replacement starting now, as discouraging as this conversation may have been for Eliyahu, <clears throat> it was apparently too encouraging for us to read during the Feast of the Three Weeks. How is this encouraging for us that we can't read it when we're mourning during the Feast of Three Weeks? Well, it was discouraging, certainly, to Eliyahu. Is that, is that why we're just ask just ourselves, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, forego the discouragement of Veliahu. We're just going to go ahead and, and get rid of this Haftarah reading and read about Jeremiah. Now, we could read about Jeremiah. The first chapter of Jeremiah is very encouraging. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. I have put my words in your mouth. I have placed you over nations and kingdoms. Well, apparently that had been done with Elisha. He was placed over the kingdom of Israel. When you confront them, don't break down. I have made you into a fortified city, a pillar of iron. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue you. The words of this Haftarah seem encouraging. And the words that Hashem gave to Jeremiah to declare were encouraging, telling how to avoid the wrath, the wrath that was coming to Israel and to Judah. The wrath that was coming was to be avoided. And the, out of the hardness of their hearts, the leaders and the people 
It caused them to fight against Jeremiah, who, by the way, was the author of Lamentations by most accounts, the author of Lamentations, which is read on Tisha B'Av. So here we have Jeremiah at the beginning pronouncing a repentance message to Israel that they fight against and fight against and fight against until the words of destruction come to pass and Israel is taken into captivity. This is what we read on for Pinchas instead of the words of Eliyahu. Eliyahu, who was the one who, of whom it was said he would go before the coming of the Messiah to pronounce the day when the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children and the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers. So Eliyahu had a message of redemption in spite of the fact that he had this little problem here with Jezebel, but we all know that the end of Jezebel was just as, pretty much as she said it would be, worse also than what happened to the prophets of Baal. In remembering <clears throat> the destruction that came on our people, primarily due to our own willful disobedience, we lament, not just because so many died, but it seemed that hope also had died. This was most of the message of Lamentations. There is a place in chapter 3 that is very hopeful, that joy comes in the morning, that even though after a night of weeping, joy comes in the morning. So there is a hope that is there. Nevertheless, we also read about this, this uh, time when the fast of the fourth month and of the fifth month will be a time of feasting, a time of celebration. So what are we to do as Messianic Jews who understand the hope that has come, that the hope of Eliyahu has come, that, that uh, Yochanan Hamadbil, John the Baptist, announced ahead of time would be coming and who came in the form of Yeshua, the son of Mary and Joseph, but also the son of God, God embodied in a man. We have this hope in us. We understand we are those who have been privileged to have heard and really heard this message that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to atone for our sins and to empower us in the age to come to become like Eliyahu, like Yochanan Hamadbil, the John the Baptist, to pronounce and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. It is near. It is in us. But it is also not here fully. It's coming. And our own lives ache for that coming. And if all of Israel is hoping for the day when the Messiah would come, we also are hoping for the day when he will 
return and establish his kingdom in its fullness when he will sit on his throne in Jerusalem and there will be peace in Jerusalem. We also are hoping for that. All of Israel is hoping for that. So if Israel is mourning at this time because of all the destruction that has gone before, because of all the persecution that has gone, as Jews were scattered among the nations, this is also the day, by the way, when the Bar Kokhba, Kokhba rebellion failed. Bar Kokhba was the one that was going to lead Israel to overcome the Romans and throw them out and renew the kingdom in Israel. And it failed. And a lot of people say it failed because of the Messianic Jews. Well, why was that? Because he was proclaimed, Bar Kokhba was proclaimed to be the Messiah, and the Messianic Jews couldn't go along with that and shouldn't. How do you follow someone who's a false messiah? And so the destruction of the Bar Kokhba rebellion and the ultimate uh, casting out or exile of the Jewish people. Now, there have always been Jews in the land, but the land has been governed by non-Jews for almost 2,000 years until 1948. And Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles until 1967 when Jerusalem finally was liberated. So there are, there are signs of hope for the coming. We read in our own uh, New Covenant writings that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the, of the Gentile nations until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, that this generation will not pass away until all is fulfilled. So those of you who were alive in 67, some of us, this generation will not pass away until all is fulfilled. I'm not trying to predict. There's lots of things I don't know. We're not supposed to know the day and the time, are we? But there's some hope there that maybe these things will come to pass sooner than we think. When we see troubles in Israel, when we see terrorists striking out without any thought for human life in Israel, we, we wonder, maybe this is the time. Maybe, maybe this is the day that the Tisha B'Av will turn to feasting. Joel talks about the, the, uh, the time when, um, when this would happen. He says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley where God judges. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Peter talks about the days of Joel coming to pass, the beginning of the days of Joel in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those that were gathered and they declared the, the wonderful acts of God in a tongue that they didn't even know but others understood 
that the wonderful works of God were being declared in their own language. That there's a special gift given to the Jewish followers of Yeshua to be able to declare to the nations the wonderful acts of God. That, that all the nations will also be encouraged. So Joel gave us hope. And we see the partial fulfillment already, hopefully coming even sooner. But maybe it's that Tisha B'Av that's coming when in, um, we read that the Lord will save the tents of Yehuda first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Maybe this Tisha B'Av, as our nation is mourning, we will come to mourn for him as for an only son. Maybe this is the hope. Maybe this is the time when the hearts will be turned towards the one. We have great hope that one day that judgment on the nations will come, not because we want to see the nations destroyed. We want to see them thrive. But what does it take to thrive in that day, the day of the Lord? What, what does it take? Well, it shall come to pass, also in Zechariah, that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of Sukkot, the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of Sukkot. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. What is happening here? The kingdom of God is descending on Jerusalem and everything in Jerusalem will be holy unto the Lord because the king is on his throne and reigns in Jerusalem. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses of all things. Horses. On the bells of the horses. What could be less holy? But they will be holy to the Lord. 
The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. We're looking to that day. This is our hope. And if we cannot mourn for the destruction of the temple twice that occurred on Tisha B'Av, if we can't mourn for the breaching of the walls, if we can't mourn for all the things that we traditionally mourn for on Tisha B'Av, can we not mourn for the fact that Yeshua tarries, that he's not here yet, that we know, do not yet have the fullness of the kingdom on earth? Can we not mourn alongside our brothers who will mourn for him as for an only son. Can we not mourn with them? Can we not join our brothers and sisters in mourning and in fasting, knowing that one day this fast will be turned into a feast because of Yeshua? If you are not a person of prophecy, may you become a person of prophecy. Maybe you become a person of whom Paul wrote, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. May the spirit of prophecy go forth in you, in your life. May your heart and your words and your presence bring the presence of Yeshua everywhere you go. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, hidden things that will be revealed. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the kehilah, the assembly of God, the assembly, the ecclesia, the house of Yeshua. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. May I, I speak with tongues regularly, but even more that you, that you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the congregation may receive edification. My prayer for us today is that we would be people of prophecy, that we understand the prophetic word, that we become those like Eliyahu and like Yermiahu, Jeremiah, who are able to stand against anything that we might hear without fear and just simply say, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. Are you prepared? for the kingdom that is coming. Amen.